Church in uh, Bellingham have agreed to teach our church about family. And then that's like their bread and butter. That, that is their ministry. They have like five kids. Uh, they're people that read the Bible together as a family every single day. They sing a song every single day together. Like they're just passionate. Like they really, they focus on family. And this is while leading a church. And, and so anyway, that's just their specialty. And they've agreed to teach our church about family. So the way we're going to go about that is on Wednesdays, they, we're going to have a Zoom. And they're going to teach us through Zoom. So it'll be remote. But what we would like to do with that is come together as family groups and watch that as family groups together all right so we're still doing our family groups right but we're watching we're tuning in together and we'll all see each other we'll tune in and the, the donatellas will, will talk to us about family and for those of you here that okay you're not married you don't have kids or whatever does not matter family the way you view family now will, will determine how you operate in family later i can guarantee you that and there's a need to have a good theology of family, even if you're single or young. Right? So there, it will apply because he's starting very big picture. I mean, it's really exciting. So that's going to start March. I think that's March 2nd would be that first Wednesday of March. So just uh, lock that away. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Um, I think that's it. We, we are going to give a little more info about the marriage retreat uh, next Sunday. Uh, I had one more thing. I'm losing it, so I'll just I'll move on. I think God's telling me to get on the scripture. So today we're going to be in Galatians chapter three, and so where we have been, it is is in what we were doing last week is we talked all about the covenant that, that God made with Abraham and how incredible it was that God um, accepted all the responsibility of the covenant while also accepting promising to give all the all the blessings of the covenant we man we just laid into that and the seriousness of a covenant relationship and how we don't really have something like that today but just how big and beautiful that is and that we get to enter into that covenant through christ and so that's where paul that's all, what we were all about last week and really where we're at in the book of galatians is paul he's finished his intro he's starting to get into the theological meat of it and really chapter three and four i mean guys it's just dense like it's paul te like in a good way he's just teaching and unpacking these really big concepts and going through a little bit of history and what he's trying to do is get the galatians to see what they've agreed to by submitting themselves to the law He's trying to blow up their view and show, okay, well, this is where the law fits into the grand scheme of things in a way to get their eyes off of the law and onto the big picture. All right, and so that, that's really what he's doing throughout this. And for me, when I think, okay, like, well, what anchors me to this, right, as I read through this? Because it's a lot of information, a lot of it's really good. But at the end of the day, you might be like, well, what's the point? And I think something that's really helpful, really helped me as I try to consider this, even for today, for Sunday, is at the, what, what was going on here. We're going to get into this. It's amazing. But what we're, we're going to get into here today in this, in this passage of Scripture is how the Galatians were relying on the law. Yes, we've gone over that. But in, in such a way that it was it was uh, hampering their maturity. And so here here's what I'm just going to say today. Like the one kind of anchor that just hopefully we can cling on to this as we read through the scripture today is that there are things that we want desperately to cling on to that we feel like are helping us but are actually hurting us. Or things that we desperately want to cling on to and hope that it will do something good for us but at the end of the day, continue just, it, it hurts our maturity, it hurts our depth, it hurts our spirituality, but man, we just want to hang on to it because some people said it's really good to hang on to. All right, that's incredibly broad, and that's the point. But, but I think that's kind of, it's, it's really what Paul's doing here with the lie. He's like, look, you guys are just so locked into this thing, and it's doing nothing for you. 
doing nothing. So let's, I'll just go ahead and start reading. Verse uh, 10, sorry, verse 10 through 14, he just make, basically makes the statement, if you live by the law, you're cursed. If you live by faith in Christ, you're blessed. So starting in, in verse 15, he says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. This does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean when the law which came uh, 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so we'll stop there. But he starts getting into this like this language, this idea of like offspring, right? And, and here's what's incredible. When you go back to that promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 12, ratified by the covenant in Genesis 15, he said like, man, your offspring, I will make your offspring like the stars in the sky. Now what's incredible about that is that Paul here is saying when God said that, he wasn't actually talking about the blood offspring of Abraham. So he was, he was talking about one person, right? It's offs, not offsprings, Galatians. He said offspring, and that one offspring was Christ. And so then through Christ, all these promises will, will come. But okay, well then, how, are the, how is he going to be like stars in the sky if it comes through just one person? Well, we're gonna, we'll get into that in a minute. But what he's trying to do again here, he's trying to put the law in its place. And he's like, look, okay, and this, this whole thing, the, the, he's like, Galatians, God made this promise. It wasn't until 430 years after that promise that the law even existed, you guys. And you're going after the promise by going after the thing that came hundreds of years later? Like, what are you doing? He's like, look, even in a, even in a man-made covenant, no, no new terms are added into it. It's like this law that was given 430 years later is not changing the promise that was made to Abraham. So you might ask, well, then why, why the law? Great question. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now the intermediary implies more than one God, but God is one. So like anticipating their reaction to that, They'd be like, well, then what's the point of the law? Like, if, if it was about the promise and the, the law came later, then, then why would the law be there? So, like, he anticipates that question, and he says, well, because of transgressions. It's like, okay, well, Paul, that's not really super descriptive. So, but Paul does say that, I think, to help us understand what Paul means by that, he does say this in Romans chapter 5. I'll just read for you, verse 20. It says that the law was given so that trespass may increase. That's really interesting. So then why did God even give the law in the first place? Because if there was the promise, then, then, then why the law? And, and what I would submit, right, according to what Paul said, that the law was given to increase trespass. I think we needed the law. Like we needed the law to see that we had, like the law was the objective evidence that we have sin. It was the written code that showed, look, here are sins, and you you are committing these things, right? It's like it, it existed to give us the proof that we had sin, and something had to be done about it. 
And at the end of the day, like this is all, I mean, you just read Romans, it's all over Romans, but it's like, look, the, the death comes through the law, but like life, life comes through Christ. And, and then the law was given to increase trespass, but we're in trespass increased, grace increased all the, the more. So it's kind of given to show that we need the promise that God made to Abraham in the first place. That law exists, and it, or that sin exists, and it's a problem. And like, why the sacrifices? Well, the sacrifices to show the seriousness of sin. You guys ever thought about that before? Like, what, what in the, why on earth would God require sacrifices? Why would he need that? God doesn't need anything. I mean, think about the sacrificial system for a minute. Incredibly, like, this, this really weird, bloody process where you would literally go kill an animal because of your sins. And at the end of the day, those animals, and, and this, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews clarifies it, but at the end of the day, those animals didn't do anything. It was just to be an image of what our sin produced, which was death. And so we needed the law to come in and show us that we are sinful, that there is a problem. The law shows that there's such things as sinful men and a holy God. It's this idea of, of the law, I mean, it's, it's incredible, but it, it needed to happen to show us that we're sinful. But it was never meant to be the point. And I could just see Paul looking at the Galatians like, you guys, don't you get it? There's just such a bigger picture here. There's the promises of God, and now these promises are being, are being fulfilled and applied to us in Christ, but you're stuck on this, this thing. It was never about, like, I can just see him, like, you guys, it was never about the law. And, and remember, the context here is that this was a, these were a group of churches that Paul preached the gospel to, baptized in the name of Christ, and then they took on the law on top of that. So you guys, like, you're going backwards, you're going back to this thing that really is not going to do anything for you. And so zooming out, putting the law in its place, here's the promise, here's Christ, here's the law, and for some reason you're stuck here in the middle when there's something so much better to be going after. This law that you think is going to give you something is just proving you're dead. It's just proving you can't get it. The law was never meant to bring righteousness. It was just meant to show that you're not righteous. Right, again, we've used this terminology, but the law was never meant to be a cure to the problem of sin introduced in, in Genesis. This is meant to be the diagnosis that showed that there needed to be a cure. It was the proof. So Paul's like, look, you, come on. You're just so, you're so locked into this. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Guys, this just, it blows my, there's, there's such a grander plan going on behind all this. He's saying, look, the, the law was, the scripture imprisoned everything in sin, and, and through the law, like we have this objective evidence that there's sin, and he's saying this happened so that we could prove that we need faith to be saved. From the beginning, God designed it to be this way. This is incredible. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 real quick. Just turn, it's one page over. Just turn over. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I, I, look, he said, since the beginning, this was the idea. 
In the beginning, God predestined us, chose us in him. Like this is all, Jesus has always been the plan. Right? And I just think we forget that. Like, I think we feel like Jesus was some SWAT team guy sent down, like, you know, emergency. Jesus, a lot didn't work. Get down and fix this. Like, that wasn't it. From the very beginning, God designed it to be this way. God designed that there would be sin. God designed that we would be guilty of that sin. God designed that we'd be guilty of that sin in such a way that we could never be righteous in trying to, in, in trying to get over that sin so that we would then, but in faith, be right. Like from the beginning, God designed it that we would need him, ultimately. It's incredible. This has always been the plan. And so Paul's like just trying to open up their eyes a little bit. You guys, this, the law, such a, it's a, it was a temporary thing. And he makes the point even stronger. I mean, I love this. In verse uh, 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, so let's stop here real quick. So he's making this comparison between the law and a guardian. Now, this word guardian, it, it's fascinating. So it was like pedagogos, right? And, and this, this was like a role in Greek and Roman society. That This would be a person who was like deemed trustworthy, and they would look after, this was like an upper class, they would look after a group of boys. And, and those boys would not leave their house without this guardian until they became the age, until they became a man. And this guardian would, would check their behavior, basically raise them, work on their character, teach them. Like this would be the, per, the, the person raising them, maturing them, guiding them until they were mature. That was the role of this guardian, right? This is not just some general term guardian. This was like a role in their society. And so he's trying to like appeal to them using their own like system, right? Like, look, it's just, remember when you guys, you know, he had to hold your hand to teach you, you know, wash and write, whatever. Obviously they didn't do that, but you know what I mean? Like it, it was this role of like, kind of like a babysitter, but with a lot more responsibility. It's like this, this, you don't need this anymore. It's like it's like borderline it's like borderline brutal. I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it's almost like Paul's like, oh, you want your bottle still? You need a guardian? You want some old dream? Like no, he's like no. You're you're meant for so much more now than just that babysitter. And this is what I mean. Like when we can just hang on to stuff that's not helping us, that's hurting us. That maybe at one time was okay, but now it's just you gotta let it go. Like there, there comes a time where we need to open up our eyes and move on to a new thing. Move on to a place of maturity. I'd put it like this. My son, Joel, looks adorable. All right? I love it. And I didn't even think I would be the kind of dad that would just do the baby talk. But I'm an, I'm an absolute moron when I'm around my son. I'm like, you your baby. Right? Like, I just go. Now, look, if, if uh, 20 years from now, I'm still talking like that to Joel, there's, I mean, there's problems, right? Like, that's just not going to fly. Or, you know, I love Joel's feet. It's like the best thing ever. All right? Just little tiny toes. Look, 20 years from now, I'm not going to look at his feet. Let me sneaky. I don't want that. Like, put shoes on, kid. Or like a onesie, right? Guys, onesies. It's cute, right? If Dylan walked in wearing a onesie today, there would be problems. Like, there's, you know, there's times to move on to a new thing. 
Do, do you have one? Oh, somebody's. That's okay. I didn't mean that. That would The point is, pacifiers. Let me move on to something. Uh, you know, does anybody here have pacifier in? Oh my gosh. Uh, there's times to move on to things that are no longer doing anything for us. Let's move on. He's looking at the Galatians. The law is doing nothing for you. It's only it's only proving that you're sinful. It's only proving that you need Jesus. But for some reason, instead of running into Jesus, you keep running back in, into the law. And look, I think we can look at. I think we can. This can happen similarly to us. I think similarly, we can look at sin in such a way that we. I'll put it like this, and I feel fine sharing the story because I know if the brother was here, he'd share it with me. But he was really, like, just deep addicted to pornography and sexual sin and, and lust. And, it, it was, and, like, it was all that was on his mind. And it was all he would think about. And it was all, like, every time he confessed, it was always there. And, like, amen for confessing. But, but somebody told him, and I learned from this. I didn't tell him this. Somebody told him, look, man, why do you fix it? Like, you're always thinking about it. Of course you're going to be thinking about it because you're always thinking about it. Whenever you sin, you just think about that sin. You never think about Jesus. Whenever you think about that sin, you just kind of run away from God and you just kind of like get in yourself and all you're doing is thinking about that sin and you never think about Jesus. And then I'll say it this way. One of the best ways to overcome sin in our life, it's like, yes, see it as sin and be broken over a bit. One of the best ways to overcome sin in our life is to, is to fix our eyes on Jesus because the more you fall in love with Jesus... And the more seriously you take his relationship with us, with you, with us, the less appealing sin's going to be. Like half of it, it's like, yes, do what you can, control your environment, be open, be broken about sin. But like the other half of the battle is running but into Christ. But for some reason, we can just kind of get locked in this like guilt bubble where we, where we run away from God. It's like, I can't be open about this. This is horrible. I can't pray about this. What would God think? And then we start, that's, and then, you know, that's where like double lives start. It just gets real messy. So I think in a way we can relate to this. Guys, let's not run back to the law for fulfillment. Let's not run just back. Like, yes, let's take sin seriously, but take sin seriously so it propels you into Christ. All right? We talked about that this last week. But, but I love this imagery of the garden. Guys, it's like, it's time to move on. It's time to grow up. In our faith, sometimes even, right? I think there's ways in our faith where a lot, a lot of us here, maybe that, I don't know, maybe that's, I'm just guessing, I'm sure, all of us in here have ways where we need to we need to let go of the bottle, right? We need to let go of the pacifier. This is unbelievable. So we're trying to feed Joel, I didn't even think I would talk about this, but we're trying to feed Joel solid foods right now. Now, just real quick, who in here, don't mess with me, be honest, who, who in here would rather have a, a, a ribeye steak grilled to perfection or a glass of 2% milk. <laughs> right? I mean, like, you're, pro you're going to pick the steak, and it, but it's just, it's so crazy because with Joel right now, you try to feed him a little, like, and it's just pureed vegetables. It's nothing, right? It's like basically the same as the formula, except it's green. You try to give it to him, literally just like spits it out. It's like, Joel, you don't get it. I'm trying to do something for you here. You got to eat this. So you can, I want you to have steak one day, boy. All right? Like, but he just like spits it out. And it's like, ah, this is unbelievable. Like, I thought he would want food. After doing nothing but milk, if he gets a little taste of actual, like, flavor, I thought he'd enjoy this. But it's like, it's difficult. And we could be the same. It's like, we could... We, 
the Bible can be impressing on us to move on to something bigger, better, greater in our faith, uh, stronger in our relationship with God, deeper in our relationship with other people in the Word, and just we're like, you know, no, I want this. You know, it's like unbelievable. All right, let's move on to the greater thing. Get our eyes off of this stuff. It's just, it's not useful. And move on to the greater thing. Let's keep moving on. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you, um, as uh, for many of you as were baptized in Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither slave or free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's there's three things I want to unpack in here, and that's how we're going to close out today. The first thing is that for those of you who have been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. If I could have like an armchair and we could sit down and have a discussion, I'd do it right now. Also, my legs are really sore, so I don't know if I'd be able to get back up very well. I don't know how. I have some idea. But we, we've, we've gotten to this place where baptism is this incredibly controversial thing. Where in the past, people have literally died because of their beliefs on baptism. I have some idea of how we got here. It's, I don't, we, that's a whole tangent. We don't need to get into it. But literally, what Paul just said is when you're baptized, you put on Christ Jesus. And you go from this position here, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read something. Let me see if I can find it in my notes. Um, this is from this is from the commentary, critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. Uh, fantastic commentary, I recommend it. Um, this proves that by baptism, where it answers to its ideal, because I'm not just saying every time you get in the water you're baptized. Like there's faith that happens there, right? There's there's it's not just getting wet, but when it answers to its ideal, it's not merely an empty sign but he means a spiritual transference from the state of legal condemnation to that of a living union with Christ and of sonship through him in relationship together. So we've gotten to this place where baptism, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe you need it, or it's just kind of a sign, right? You're really saved here, but you do this to show everybody that you're saved. That's just like so not what the scripture just said. It's like in baptism, you're clothed with Christ, man. Like, you literally go from being a dead, like, hopeless, going to hell sinner with no sins forgiven to completely loved, completely forgiven. Why? Because you put on Jesus. And that term literally was like putting on their toga, right? Dressing like a man. It's like you put on Jesus, and now you're seen in relation to God, in relation to sin, in relation to the law. You are now seen as Jesus to God. Blameless, holy, perfect. This is where the promise of the Old Covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And we enter into that fulfillment in Christ by entering in the waters of baptism and putting on Christ. Like, this is a big deal what happens in baptism. I could go on a tangent of why I think we've got there, but that's, that's a conversation for another time. Come talk to me if you want. Man, baptism's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And this is not it. I mean, look, we could go over all the scriptures, but it's just so clear. It's baptism where you go from sinner to saved. That's where it happens. You go from not wearing Christ, from being you, unable to attain, reach perfection, to going completely saved, loved, forgiven, viewed as son, viewed as firstborn. 
Okay, the second thing I want, want to unpack. We are now all heirs through Christ. We are now all sons of God through Christ, even the women. So that sounds weird. But we're all sons of Christ through, or sons of God through Christ. So again, it's Christ that all these promises were being made to in, in Genesis 12. Everything, all, all, all that was is being made to Christ. And so this is how it goes, this is how it can go from one person to as many as stars in the sky. Because when we're baptized in Christ, when we enter into that covenant relationship, we now become an offspring just like Christ. Not because of us, but because Christ. And so when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And now we are in another offspring of Abraham. Because we are in Christ. And so then we become, we enter into this relationship with God where we are considered like firstborns. Firstborn sons, worthy of all honor, worthy of all inheritance, worthy of all everything. Every single one of us are worthy of all the promises of God because we are now firstborn sons of God through Christ in that covenant. That's incredible. That's incredible that we get to walk in. Um, the last thing I want to unpack is inheritance. But I think before I get there, there, there is something going on right now in Christianity, in the world. It's kind of tough to tell. There is something going on right now where people are taking the scripture. You're all one in Christ. No Jew, Greek, male or female, you're all one in Christ. They're taking that to like eliminate. I, just, I, just, I guess I just want to like protect us from this. To eliminate the idea of uh, gender. And, and now the scripture is being used as a way to affirm like you know, different gender identities, like, hey, it doesn't matter because we're all one in Christ. And that's just, like, totally not what's going on here in the context. Like, totally ignores what this passage is about. It's about our inheritance in God. It's, it's saying nothing about gender roles. It's saying nothing about our sexuality. It's, it's telling us how we're viewed by God within the covenant of Christ. And that's as the first point said. So just like a quick aside. Because um, that's just a horrible way to read that scripture. Um, the last thing, verse 29, and if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, so Paul ends this, this section out, I mean, and he's going to go on. He's going to talk more about being sons and heirs. But he ends this out by talking about, look, in Christ you receive this incredible inheritance because you're your firstborn, your firstborn son. And so Paul's trying to, again, get their, like, zoom out their, their image, get their mind off of the law, and put it on something much bigger. And he's going to start talking about their inheritance. And so I just want to talk briefly about, about inheritance because, look, at the end of the day, there's a lot of scriptures about this. And sometimes you can be like, well, okay, what is the inheritance? Well, what is clear that our inheritance is now through Christ? I, I mean, in addition to all the promises made, I mean, it's, it's eternal life. I think we don't think about that often enough. I don't think we think about eternity that often. I don't know, maybe you do. Maybe you have an existential crisis every night. But I just, I don't know that we talk think about eternity that much. Because what becomes clear is our inheritance in Christ is this eternal relationship with God. This eternal fellowship in heaven. Um, I just want to end out. Let me end out with one scripture. It's Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen. We're going to end out here. We have this really bizarre idea of heaven, largely because of pop culture. It's like clouds, angels, harps, togas, right? We, I mean, I don't, I don't really get it. I actually don't even know where that came from. Um, or there's other ideas of heaven where it's like it's just your personal paradise. You get your own little whatever paradise is for you. That's what you. It's like so weird. That's what the Bible describes heaven as is literally heaven and earth being made new, and that we exist for eternity in fellowship with God, where the glory of God. We don't even need a sun because the glory of God is so sustaining. 
that we exist under the glory of God in eternal relationship with him and eternal fellowship with one another. Like, that's heaven. And if you guys, and this is why I think it's so sad that we haven't had a conference in a long time. Because what a conference is, right, it's, it's where we come together as a fellowship. And we spend like four, four or five days, and you're just doing nothing but being around other disciples. You're eating with them, quiet times with them, fellowshiping with them, getting to know people from across the country, across the world, in different stages of life. You're doing nothing but that. And, and, and going to lessons and listening to worship music. And it's just like, it's incredible. And you start to get this little tiny picture of what heaven might be like. Because that's all your life is about for like a week, and it's amazing. You're not worried about taxes, you're not worried about whatever's going on at home. I mean, you're just with disciples, fellowshipping, worshiping God. It's incredible. I just want us to get our mind off of this small stuff that, that is not helping us and try to get our mind onto Christ, on our inheritance, on the big picture, and hope that that can promote us to live just a better life. Because it aren't because embracing our heritage starts here. It's not just waiting for that, it starts here. Here's what I mean. Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's just so it's so easy to get lost. It's so easy to get distracted and, and pulled, pulled, our attention pulled by other things. And we stop living for eternity. We, we stop thinking, how am I storing up what my eternal inheritance is going to be? And, and well, like, what's eternal? Well, you know, like our relationships with one another for one. But other things, you know, our, our activity in God's kingdom. I mean, just it's just, do a study on our inheritance, please, and dive into that. Because, like, that's what we should be living for and embracing now. And, and, of course, right after this, he gets into that Seek First the Kingdom passage, right? That everybody's like so terrified of but he's just trying to get our eyes off of us and onto god in order that we can live for true hope true promise true fulfillment and the galatians were just so stuck wearing their onesies so stuck wearing their diapers so stuck wearing their you know wanting their bottles and getting their pacifiers wanting their handheld and paul's just like look man it's time time for something new time to mature time to embrace something deeper Let's go after that together. Let's care about something more in life. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for this. We, we just need your help applying the scripture in our, in our heart. God, we need your help going through this and just trying to put ourselves in the Galatians' shoes, seeing what tr Paul's trying to work in them, teach them, God. And ultimately, we need you to apply this, Father. Help us see the beauty of what it is that, that your son died on the cross for us, God, that, that, that you planned it, the son accomplished it, the Holy Spirit... Uh, uh, now applies it to us. It's just incredible. Help us get our mind off of ourselves and onto the big picture. God, it's so easy for life to shrink down to the size of our problems. Help us expand it into you. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys.